On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Mitch Marsh is probably just hasn't been as consistent as, as he would like would like so we know that Mitch is we know the talent that Mitch has we know that most likely at some stage in this series we'll, we'll need him um, so we're taking the opportunity at the moment to actually send him back to play a shield game get some more cricket under his belt knowing that at some stage yeah we're, we're probably going to need him we know he's good enough to be, be a genuine all-rounder at, at test level um, he probably just hasn't put it together as we said consistently enough so the opportunity for him to go back and, and get a shield game under his belt before the BBL start is, is really important um, but yeah, going forward, we've got full faith in him being a test all-rounder. And, and as I said, as this series wears on and um, you get to, to places where the wickets might be a bit flatter and, and conditions are a little bit warmer and um, our bowlers are a little bit tired, then um, that all-round position becomes really important. Hello, Cricket Unfiltered listeners, and welcome to the bi-weekly cricket podcast brought to you by News Corp. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, and it is a happy time for cricket fans, not only in Australia, but all around the world, as the series between Australia and India have kicked off. And speaking at the top of the show was Australian Test Captain Tim Payne talking about the shock axing of Australian all-rounder Mitch Marsh. Just in the last podcast, Pete Lawler and Ben Horn assured me that Mitch Marsh was going to play, but Langer and the other Australian selectors have, have had a last-minute change of heart and have picked six batsmen, one wicketkeeper and four bowlers. All right, we're going to be talking about that soon. I'm going to cross to the Adelaide Oval to a good friend of mine and a a journalist that follows both the Australian and Indian cricket teams around. His name is Gav Joshi, a name familiar to many listeners. And then after that... I'm going to be speaking with Tom Sangster about four of the Big Bash teams and how they're lining up ahead of the Big Bash. We're going to talk about the Heat, the Strikers, the Hurricanes and the Renegades. And then to close this podcast, I was lucky enough to chat with Australian women's team vice captain Rachel Haynes about their glorious victory in the Caribbean. All right, that is all to come. Let's now cross to the Adelaide Oval to my good friend, Gav Joshi. Gav, how are you? I'm well, Menas. I'm mean, excited that cricket has finally got underway and there's um, look, plenty of buzz around and what a terrific first couple of sessions for Australia. But I tell you what, there is still plenty of excitement um, despite India wobbling here in Adelaide with six wicket downs at T. Now tell me, Gav, what's the atmosphere like at the Adelaide Oval? Is it full of Indian supporters? Is it roughly half-half? Uh, has the heat kept people away? Take the listeners inside the Oval. I tell you what, it's been really hot ever since I've gotten to ground about, say, 9 o'clock minutes. It's been steaming. Most people have been coming in, applying the sunscreen. And if you probably, some of the guys watching on TV, they'll probably find the lower concourse. There's no one sitting there, and that's right, because the temperatures have got to about, say, 38, 39 degrees. You mentioned Indian fans. that certainly rocked up for the T20s and series, but unfortunately, I've probably seen about only 
or maybe 100 or 200. They've, they've got the army uh, shirts on and they're, they're up near the scoreboard end of the ground, but they're hiding in the shade and they, well, given the way India's playing at the moment, they might even go you know, into their hideouts, given that the way India are playing in this test match. But, look, it's extremely hot out here, and, I mean, terrific session for Australian bowlers because the way that they've been able to put pressure on, yeah, a bit of reckless shot by the Indian batsmen. But I tell you what, if you're going to be anywhere today at the Adelaide Oval, it would definitely be in the shade. But, it, look, it's just fantastic atmosphere because, it, at the end of the day, it's still the first day of cricket in terms of test cricket in Australia. I absolutely agree. Now, Gav, for the listeners out there, you were born in India, you emigrated to Australia, so this matchup must mean a lot to you. Who, who does your heart support when India and Australia lock horns? I'm going to give you a diplomatic answer, Menace. I just want to see good cricket. You know, being around journalists, <laughs> being a journalist, we know we, we, when we're put into a tough spot, uh, we know how the players reply to us. So I'm going to reply the same manner to you as well. But <laughs> look, no, it's just great. I mean, uh, you just like watching terrific cricket. I mean, India and Australia, that whole rivalry probably started back in 2001, ever since GVS Laxman's terrific innings, that historic test series. Uh, and, and ever since that, you know, in that golden era of Australian cricket, it's fair to say that India is probably one of the teams that could push the Aussies. I mean, Steve Boards, men or Ricky Ponting's early stage, and I think created that rivalry. And I think that's growing now. And of course, India having never won down under, I mean, look, this is their chance. Uh, well, yes, they haven't got off to a good start today, but I just want to see a terrific game. I just love watching cricket, especially between these two nations. Um, you know, I understand both different cultures and how different they are but you know there's that one absolute one common theme and that's the love of cricket well i guess you're in a unique position in that you can see um the the off-field cultures from both sides so you see the australian side of things and the indian side of things and also you spend a lot of time traveling around following the indian and australian team so you know the cricket team very well so this must be a, a perfect series for you and Tell me, what do you think of the Indian team that's been selected? They've gone for, what, Shami, Sharma and Boomerah as the three quicks with Ashwin as the spinner and then the uh, Rohit Sharma at six. They didn't pick the all-rounder. Are you happy with that uh, makeup? Well, I mean, if Hardik Pandey was here, you'd probably think he'd certainly bat at number six, but because he's been injured, he's not here. So certainly India don't really have a, a, an all-rounder, a genuine all-rounder, which is something that Hardik Pandey offers for them. Uh, but because of that, yeah, I look, I mean, bowling lineup, I mean, the pace bowling, the, there's a three there, of course. Uh, you mentioned Ishant. I mean, he doesn't have a great record in Australia, but he, he's almost the guy who holds this team together. And as long as he gets sufficient support from both ends. And I think Boomer is going to be exceptional here. He, he's more of a, he's come through sort of 50 over cricket and T20 cricket, but he does have that sort of X factor while Shami um, is he, a leading wicket taker for India in 2018. So I think that's definitely right. I mean, you have to play Ravi Ashwin. There's no other choice. I think Jadeja um, is far too dependent on the Indian pitches. That's just the style of the bowler he is. A uh, little bit surprised to see Rohit Sharma play. Um, from what I understand, he was probably uh, the second cab off the rank until the team arrived in uh, in Adelaide. But it's just the nature of the pitch that probably thought they wanted a bit of experience. 
so they decided to go for Rohit and uh, ahead of Hanuma Kihari, who just bowled. You mentioned I don't, I wouldn't classify him as an all-rounder, more of a sort of an off-spinner. And just seeing the Indian top-order bat today, um, I just feel, I mean, pretty sure could well have been out first ball, but uh, they just missed that sort of X factor at the top as well. And of the three quicks, Shami, Sharma and Boomerah, which do you think could potentially trouble Australia's top order? Well, one thing that goes sort of almost Ishan's way is that he's around here, this is his fourth tour to Australia. And uh, look, his numbers aren't great, man. He averages 62, his strike rate's over 100. That's that's appalling, I think. Uh, the News Corp uh, wrote a piece on how he's almost or you can be termed as one of the worst uh, overseas bowlers, fast bowlers to come to Australia. But I think this is his series But if, if, because he's got a really good support crew around him, um, uh, on especially with, with Bumrah and Shami. But the challenge for him is, is he needs to be able to just keep persisting that same line and length. We think bowling in Australia is quite different to India because... Here you need to get the wickets through edges, through slips and, and caught behinds. While in India, they attack the stumps. Their lines are completely different. So I'm sure Ishan's learned. He's come a long way. He's been having a lot of talks with Jason Gillespie, spent a bit of time with the Aussie legend there at Sussex um, around June and July in England. And I'm sure that he's hitting better sort of length. And, um, and he's one guy, he's tall, he can hit the deck. He's probably a little bit similar to someone like a, like a Pat Cummings or a Josh Hazelwood. Doesn't quite have that pace. Uh, but certainly when he releases the ball and, and uh, the, extra, the bounce that he extracts. So I think a big, really huge test for Ishan Sharma. He's 30 years of age. He might never come back to Australia. He's been around for four years. If he can't do it now, he'll never do it for India. So I think he's the key fast bowler, um, definitely for this series and even this test match. Well, wow, big call. Now, Australia made a very big call on the eve of the test. They dropped Mitchell Marsh. They've gone for six batsmen with uh, four bowlers and a wicketkeeper, a real classic test lineup. It's a real about face for this team, isn't it, Gav? Because they've put a lot of investment in Mitch Marsh. He was made vice captain. And then all of a sudden, on the eve of a big test series, they've had a, a change of heart. Yeah, look, absolutely. But uh, I guess if we just have to look back a little bit, Menas, I mean, if you look at the first Ashes test last year, we decided to go with that, you know, just a four frontline bowlers. If ever Australia was going to do it, it would have to be in that first test match. And they probably looked at the pitch and thought there is a slightly bit of grass on it. Everyone's fresh. Uh, Nathan Lyon's capable of bowling a lot of overs. He loves bowling at the Adelaide Oval. So, And just a slight bit of insecurity around the batting. They just felt Mitch Marsh, I mean, uh, Tim Payne touched on it, saying he probably hasn't produced as, or scored as many runs as we wanted. And Peter Hanscom, he was, I mean, I wouldn't say he was indroppable, but you had to pick Hanscom given the amount of runs he's been scoring on in domestic cricket, something that Justin Langer has been craving for. So uh, while it is rather surprising, it's slightly, I mean, given the, the association with Western Australia with Justin Langer and Mitch Marsh, if Australia was ever going to do it, it had to be in the first test match. So, uh, look, it is surprising, but, I mean, I think it might not be a bad decision, I mean, especially given now that India have lost, you know, six wickets until tea time. So it might prove to be uh, an absolute sort of a masterstroke. 
Yeah, I look, I agree with the decision in many ways, and I think Mitch Marsh has had plenty of chances, but I, I do feel sorry for him because he was, you know, made to bat at number four in the UAE when he's he's definitely not a number four at test level, and, and that kind of put him back. And, and if, if Head and Hanscom and Harris, Marcus Harris, all perform, then, you know, it might be really hard for Mitch Marsh to force his way back into the team. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got to remember, it's not only that. I mean, yes, Josh Hazelwood is a vice-captain, but, it, I mean, it was also Mitch Marsh who was given those duties. So, I mean, to be named vice-captain and then suddenly be dropped for the first test match. Um, the Cricket Australia and selectors and players have spent a lot of sort of time investing in development of, of Mitch Marsh to have him dropped. Uh, but, look, I, I certainly think you feature in the series. I can't see Australia playing just four quicks throughout the four test matches. I mean, he could play even in Melbourne, depending on the result and given the workload of the bowlers. But I think he's still an important cog in this Australian team. Um, it just depends on how, what kind of pitches we're going to get, how many overs the bowlers are going to bowl. Uh, but look, I, I like this idea. Uh, right now, we need runs from our batsmen. I think the bowlers are really good enough. And, and if, if that's the case, then, uh, you know, we... I think it's the right choice to play six frontline batsmen. That includes Peter Hanscom, Marcus Harris, and also Travis Head. Now, you just said we need the run. So I think in answer to my question before, <laughs> deep down you support Australia. You've been turned. Look, I won't tell your Indian friends, and I, I won't uh, make this public, but we know where your heart lies. All right, Gavin, it's really good to talk to you on the podcast. Before I let you go, I want to I want to get your prediction for the series. I've gone Australia 3-1. Uh, Pete Lawler's gone India 2-1. Ben Horn's gone Australia 2-1. Where are you? I mean, you've followed both these these teams so closely, you know the form line better than anyone. So what do you think? Geez, watching this first couple of session matters, I, I probably was on India 2-1, but I'm just probably tilted slightly towards Australia uh, 2-1, given I've just seen what has happened. I mean, Australian prime position so far on this first day, we never know. I mean, I can't judge a pitch until both teams bat on it. But, look, I am still tipping this Australian team. I mean, if we can get some runs under the belt, especially like you mentioned, Harrison and Head and Hanscom and, and even Aaron Finch, suddenly if the run starts flowing off the bat, I think it's going to be difficult for India. I think today was their really chance to sort of start the series in the right way. It hasn't gone their way. Um, and I, so I, if you called me, if we had done this podcast yesterday, I would have said India 2-1, but right now I'm going to go Australia 2-1. Well, that'll make you happy. We know where your heart lies. You're a little Aussie <laughs> underneath that Indian uh, facade. Well, Gav, uh, look, it, it's great to talk to you on the podcast. I know you've got to get back to work at the Adelaide Oval. You and I are going to be spending a lot of time over summer. Can't wait, and uh, take care. Thanks for having me on, Menas. Look forward to it and keep the show going. We love listening to all the podcasts you have and all the people on there. Doing a great job, mate. Keep it up. That was Gav Joshi, a freelance cricket journalist and absolute cricket guru. All right, I'm going to be back after the break with Tom Sangster to start going through the Big Bash lineups for the upcoming season. Goes long down the ground and way over. Big six. She's seeing it beautifully at the moment. Elise Perry and she races to 34 off 19. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. I'm now in the News Corp studios with 
Tom Supercoach Sangster. How are you, Tommy? Very well, thanks, mate. Uh, starting to get fired up for some big cricket coming soon. Well, I just can't believe it, but in two weeks, the Big Bash starts. Before we know it, we will be right into the thick of sixes, fours, spinners taking wickets, big crowds, kids with painted faces. It's going to be huge. It's going to be massive, and there's going to be test cricket during the day, and you basically don't even turn off your television, and then you've got Big Bash going during the night. There could be could be some divorces happen over this summer, that's for sure. Absolutely, and I'll tell you something else. I am worried about my married life because yeah. there's wall-to-wall cricket. It's, it's going to be really hard to find any time to talk to my friends and family. Yep, exactly, and now that you've signed up for Supercoach as well, that's going to take a fair bit of your time each week too. So I'm here with Tom today to start going through the Big Bash squad so the listeners out there know about the, the stars that are going to light up our summer nights. Before we get into that, Tommy, I want to get into our listener mail segment, and there's been a lot of correspondence for the podcast, and I want to be interactive. So let's start with a lovely review on iTunes by Balanced Cricket, who said they love the podcast, and it's so re- refreshing to hear Australian commentators being so balanced and prepared to call out the issues on and off the field. The cricket world isn't centred around the Australian team. And as we are not the top team in any format at the moment, we should show a certain amount of humility and respect to others as reflected in this podcast. What a lovely review. Huge. Yeah, that's uh, that's very nice. It's, uh, well, not, it's not often you get positive feedback on, on things like this, is it? All right. Next email, Sean Lander. The subject was too much cricket. Thanks for the email, Sean. This is what he's written. Hey, mate, love the show. Best podcast on Aussie cricket by far. Nice. I agree. <laughs> Thank you. He said, I'd like to hear your thoughts on too much cricket when really in the two months since the end of the AFL season, there has only been a smattering of international games. He thinks that it would be nice if you could move the Big Bash to starting in mid-October and then have uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday games like in a baseball season. He's written. Uh, So I guess, um, Tommy, I like Sean's email, but Cricket Australia are one step ahead of us with this because from next summer, the Women's Big Bash will kick off, I think, in October, November and run into the start of the Men's Big Bash, which I think it will sort of free up this glut of cricket. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a massive gap in the calendar from the NRL and AFL Grand Finals till now. There, there's barely been any cricket at all, and I agree. Some Something needs to be done about that gap because we're going from the smattering of international games suddenly into absolute oversaturation of games where you've got test cricket during the day and big bash happening during the night. It should be spread out a bit more, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think that when the Women's Big Bash starts early next year, we'll have its own airtime. It won't be competing with other sports, which I think is going to be fantastic. I love watching the Women's Big Bash, and if that's going to be on sort of every night leading up to the the tests and then the Men's Big Bash, I think it's a win for fans. Yep, and look, he says that there's a bit too much cricket going on. I feel that if teams pick their best teams more often, then people would be more willing to watch, and we wouldn't think that there was too much cricket going on because you got the best of the best via the best of the best. Uh, whereas now, which yeah, and now in Aussie cricket, you've got so much rotation going on that it's hard to get up as a fan to watch these games. Uh, Sean's also said, let's forget about international T20 cricket and just keep it as a domestic game. That's a common thought. I like the international T20s, but I'd like it 
if they were tied into qualification for a World T20 and would not merely be sort of exhibition games, which I think is the ICC's eventual plan. If I was going to scrap a format, it would be one-day internationals. You just go with test cricket and then the T20 cricket and nothing in between. Would you have True a 50 over form? World Cup? Wouldn't bother. Oh, Tommy, big call, big call. It's an interesting one. I mean, the funny thing is in Australia, 50 over cricket's not that important, but in, in India and other parts mm. of the world, it's still seen as being a vital part of the game. Yeah, well, I think in India and, and Pakistan, a lot of places, they would probably want to ditch test cricket and then keep ODIs and T20s. And Sean's also said he would like to see both T20 and ODIs move to four innings matches. Now, Sean, you lost me with that idea. I'm not a fan of splitting up the game into four innings, but it was trialled in the domestic one-day competition probably in the 90s. Ian Chappell suggested it, and they they broke the the 50-over games up into 25-over segments. And I, I think... The problem with that is the game loses rhythm with all the changes and there's too many breaks and just when a batsman might be getting ready to cut loose, they have to come off. But anyway, it was a suggestion. It's, yeah, it's, it's a good suggestion, but it's a no from me. As you say, the game loses too much momentum. It's been trialled and it, I don't think it worked and I don't think that it's going to be trialled ever again. Good email, Sean. Thanks for the correspondence. All right, now another message that I got through on Twitter from Catherine Richardson. Oh, man, has left work tonight. It's cold and raining. She said it was a tough day at the office and everything turned around when the new podcast dropped into my app. My rave Aussie sunshine. Wow. And I got two tickets to the first day of the last Ashes test today. So all is well. Off to hurl some red balls about at Winter Nets. Well, well done, Catherine, for Beautiful. training in the winter in England, and thanks for listening to the show. How good. Are you sure that's not your mum writing in saying that? <laughs> good friend. Uh, and last one, this was from Mitch Hall. Uh, Hi, Andrew. Really enjoyed the Rod Marsh interview, and I picked up a copy of his book, I'm guessing. Thank you for getting him on. The show is in really good form, good mix of guests and content, and at the moment I'm happy with it just being Australian content. Wouldn't mind occasionally going over a classic test series or Rebel Cricket Tours. Mitch Hall. Well, I think that's something that that we're thinking of, um, or I'm thinking of as the producer of this show, sole producer, uh, next year of when doing some feature interviews and perhaps I could get some guests on who are involved in a test series, maybe not a Rebel Cricket Tour, but might stick to the sort of test series that were sanctioned. But yeah, delve into them. Yeah, I like it. A bit of uh, looking back, going down memory lane would, would work. I like some of those podcasts where you have sort of long form interviews and you can you can go into history and I think cricket's great for that because a lot of the listeners will know the context of what we're talking about so they make for a fascinating listen. Well, thank you to all those people who got in touch with the podcast. Thanks for leaving reviews on iTunes. If you have a moment, please go to iTunes and leave a review or whatever app you listen to the show on. It's great uh, for new people to find the show. Also, um, if you want to get in touch with the show, email me on OzCricketPod. That's A-U-S CricketPod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Amenas, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. Or you can get in touch through my web website, andrewmensel.com. So that was our listener correspondence segment. Now it's time to get in to the Big Bash. 
We're going to go through four teams today, Tommy, and we're going to just update listeners on the movements, the star overseas players, and what we think about the squads in question. Uh, before we get into it, I just want to thank Louise Abihana and Tom Sangster. They did an extensive article on uh, the dailytelegraph.com.au where they go through all the squads in detail, and a lot of the information's been pulled from that. So thank you to Louise and Tommy, well done, mate. Yeah, good work from Louise, good young journalist, coming through the ranks. All right, let's start with the Adelaide Strikers. I think they play in the first game of the Big Bash against the Brisbane Heat, and they're obviously the defending champions. Do you want to start us off, Tommy? Yeah, well, their team is essentially the same team that won the competition last year. The only difference is that they're probably not going to have Travis Head in that side because he's been tied up with the test team. Although, who knows, a couple of low scores in the tests and he could be back playing for the strikers. They could also miss Alex Carey a little bit uh, when the ODIs come on. So they're a victim of their own success in, Tommy, in that, would, really. Would it be fair to say that with the length of the big bash now, starting mm. mid-December, finishing mid-Feb, every squad is going to have changes, whether it's overseas players coming in and out, whether it's Australian internationals being called into the white ball or the, the test team. I think in January there's two tests against Sri Lanka. And yeah. I think before that there's three one-days against India. So there will be sort of call-ups in and out. So Absolutely, that's yeah. a big challenge for all these teams. Oh, 100%. And, and it's amplified even more for Supercoach because you've got guys coming in and out all the time. The over, Some of the overseas players are only booked in for half of the season. Then you've got replacement overseas players coming in, there's going to be so much chopping and changing with the squads. And do you think it's going to come down to if you have a really core group of players that are out of that mix where they're not being called up for Australia, where they're not being called up for their country and they just sort of can sort of form a core group. Well, I think that's why the strikers have gone went well that's why they won the competition last year. They got in just before these players became regular Australian players. So they were hitting their peak or they're probably at their peak because they then got picked for higher honors straight after this competition. The Scorchers have done it before where they uh, have these Australian-level players just before they get picked for Australia. I think that's the key, and it's almost impossible to time that. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. Or just try and find players that aren't quite good enough to get mm. into the Aussie side, but at the top level of the Big Bash. And well, and picking your internationals is key there because you've got someone like Dwayne Bravo, who you know has retired from international cricket. He will play the entire tournament for the Stars. He's obviously switched clubs this year. Whereas some teams are buying players like Joe Root, Joss Butler, who are seriously good T20 uh, and international players, but they're only going to play half the tournament. So and they, they won't be there for the finals. So they if you could do get make you it. some early points, but when it's yeah. the business end of the tournament, you'll need other players to step exactly. up. Exactly. All right, back to the strikers. Yeah, in terms of the cheapy to watch here, I'm really liking, oh, not really liking, but the guy to watch is Jake Lehman because he batted so low last year. He barely got a bat because Head, Weatherald, and Carey absolutely killing it. So Lehman barely batted. He'll bat a bit higher this year because Head is obviously not going to play and Carey might be out a little bit as well. So definitely one to watch. He's at base price, even though he's been talked about as a future tester. Jake Lehman, base yeah, price. Yeah, base price. I've got a couple of players to watch. Colin Ingram, their overseas player. I think he could do a bit of the skippering when uh, Travis Head's not there. Ben Lachlan, uh, he's probably taken more wickets in the Big Bash than any other bowler. Yeah, he'd be right at the top. He could even be number one on the list, I reckon. And the other one is Matt Short. Hasn't had a lot of game time, but I I think 
he's again he's in that category where I think he could excel at this level yeah it could be a breakout season for him I've definitely got my eye on him and Liam O'Connor is the guy I think who's under the most pressure he's a young spinner coming through he's the only specialist spinner in this team they've got a few guys who can put in a few overs every now and again yeah I mean plenty of pressure on the young leggy absolutely so I think the strikers look pretty good for the tournament. I mean, they've got a lot of strong names there. Billy Stanlake, Michael Nisa, Cameron Valente, Nick Winter, who's had a good start to the Shield for South Australia. So I think they're going to be a team to watch, definitely. They're good. The only thing that I'm worried about is the loss of Travis Head. That is, that's a seriously big loss because not only is his batting so good, but he often bowls his four overs, often opens the bowling for them. So he is a seriously big loss, but they've, still, they've definitely got a team that could win the comp. All right, let's move on now to the Brisbane Heat. They meet the Adelaide Strikers in the first game of the Big Bash. You've written here that they have the most formidable batting order going around with McCullum, Lynn at the top of the order. Yeah, McCullum and Lynn, that's huge. They are two of the most damaging players in world cricket when it comes to the T20s. Supercoach-wise, the Heat have a double game in round one. So when you look at the schedule, sometimes there's teams have two games, some have zero games, and some have one game. So obviously you're targeting the guy with bo- the guys with both games, given that the scores from both of those games count. So Lynn and McCullum, you just have to get in for round one because they play twice when other teams are playing once. So, Tommy, I don't know if you're aware, but I've signed up for Super yeah, Coach now. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I, I haven't picked my team yet because I figured we should do these segments mm. before I pick my team. So I get right in there. And I only joined Super Coach not because I'm working here and producing this podcast, but I actually think I'm a genuine chance at winning this you, competition. Mate, you know I a lot. I could be the national champion. You know a lot about cricket, and I think you'll be well-suited to Super Coach. That's for sure. Look out, competitors. Manners is coming. Uh, okay, let's get back to the Brisbane Heat and not my own self-indulgence. <laughs> I like their big signing. They've signed at James Pattinson. Mm. Uh, we, we've seen him playing shield cricket. He can also bat. Yeah. Uh, so he could be a good all-round package for the Heat. Uh, yeah, I like him. He, he's, at, he's at bottom dollar. Obviously, they play twice in that first round as well. He's been going okay in the shield games. And I think that he, as you say, he's one of those floaters that could come in in the batting order. Almost, I mean, they've got Ben Cutting in the team already, so he's probably their number one floater. Uh, but ben Cutting's for the had last, a great off-season. Yeah. Everywhere he goes, he does well. Did well in the CPL, did well in the IPL. He's, he's been playing in the T10 tournament. He's just a gun for hire. Yeah, 100%. And he's, he's an awesome purchase for, for the first round at about 130K. The cheapie I'm looking at, though, is a kid called Max Bryant, who I feel could knock off McCullum or Lynn for an opening spot. Uh, and then Lynn or McCullum would have to go bat at three, which they've done a lot in the past. This kid got the fastest 50 ever by a Queenslander in one-day domestic cricket recently. So faster than Lynn, faster than Matty Hayden, Jimmy Ma, all these guys. He's a serious tonker, and I feel that he'll play the... The, uh, his bottom dollar for Supercoach, and he'll play the role at the top of the order where it's basically hit out or get out. I think Max Bryant's only 19. He's, He's a young, very yeah. young man, and I saw him playing throughout the JLT Cup. And what I like about him is he literally just puts his foot down the wicket and yeah. smashes it as hard as he can, and he did it to all the bowlers during the, the, the JLT Cup. He, he's fearless. He's yep. as fearless as they come, 
And as I said, I think he's a great buy. He's going to have a high percentage of boundaries in his innings. He's he's just not afraid. He's got no fear. That sort of youthful, almost stupidness where you just don't care about the consequences of the way you play. Yeah, his strike rate is always going to be up, that's for sure, which is great for Supercoach because you get extra points for being uh, above a runner ball in Supercoach. You get extra points for sixes, extra points for fours. So he's a definite one to watch with the double in round one, as I have already mentioned. What about their overseas bowl? Mujib Rahman. What does he bowl? I like him. He bowls mystery spinner, I believe is the technical term. He killed it in the IPL. He came 13th in the wickets in the IPL, but he only played 11 games compared to 17 games. So if he played all the games, he would have been right at the top. From Afghanistan? Afghanistan, yeah. Very young. I believe he's only uh, 17 or 18. And there's a bit of pressure on Mitchell Swepson there because hasn't been going that well this year and it depends how many spinners they want to run in that team. Majib, you would think, is ahead in the pecking order, ahead of Swepson as Can it goes right you have too right many now. spinners in T20 cricket? Uh, probably I mean, not, you, though. If they're good, you could have at least two in a team. Probably not, but I, I guess they may want to run with a spinner who can also bat. All right, just looking at the Heat, a couple of other names, and it? They have a good core group of players that aren't quite good enough for Australia. So Joe Burns, Manish Lobashane, Chris Lynn we've talked about, and Matty Renshaw, all just going to be the real workhorses in their top order. And I, again, good squad. Yep, it's good. They've uh, they've won it before. And guys like McCullum up at the Gabba, uh, it's the sort of home deck that you can really take advantage of because it's different to all the other decks around. So if they can build a fortress up there at the Gabba, then they'll be pretty hard to beat. Now let's move on to the Hobart Hurricanes. Of course, lost the final last summer to the Strikers. Uh, they've made a big change in that the man of the match in the 2015-50 over World Cup that Tom Sankster wants to get rid of, James Faulkner, <laughs> is into the Hurricanes. And Dan Critch- Christian is gone, and I think he's moved to the Renegades. Renegades, yeah. So, I, I mean, that's a big change. Christian is such a good performer at T20 level. James Faulkner has had an up-and-down couple of years. The two players that interest me the most are the overseas players from the Hurricanes. You've got Jofra Archer from England. Obviously, very quick bowler who can now play for England in next year's 50-over World Cup. Mm. So he'll have a, a lot to prove in the Big Bash. It's such a visible comp, and he can swing the willow down the order. Yeah, uh, there's a bit of chat floating around that he may actually pull out of the Big Bash, which would be a big blow because, as you say, he, he killed it last year. I think he was third for wickets. Didn't get much of a chance with the bat, but we know that he can hit it. Why um, would he, he pull he, out? He has said that so that he can prepare to play for England, if he were to be picked for England, and I think they'd probably want him, then he may pull out of the Big Bash. It's all still up in the air at the moment. The, the squads need to be finalised by 7th of December, so very soon. We'll probably know by then. The other one is Tymal Mills, the the player that went for an astronomical price at the IPL the year before last, came in last summer under a lot of pressure to perform for the Hurricanes. Didn't look good in his first couple of games, and that kind of put him behind the eight ball. But he was injured last summer going into the, the, the Big Bash. This year he's fully fit, so again, one to watch. Definitely, and he bowls really fast. I just don't know how they... Uh, often you only want one express bowler in your team in a T20 game, and so they've got Archer and Mills both in that category. It's a bit of a risky strategy going in with that, but still uh, a proven performer when fit. And 
I mean, fitness is just so important for a bowler who's trying to bowl at 150 k's an hour. If you've had and rhythm, yeah, and if you've had uh, a bunch of weeks out before that, it's hard to build into that. But as you say, fit now, and I think it could be a bounce back season for him. The Hobo Hurricanes have a really strong top order. So you've got Ben McDermott, George Bailey, Tim Payne, Darcy Short, and Matt Wade, Wade all yeah. in their squad. And you know, Tim Payne will be free for a fair bit of the Big Bash with when the test stuff is not on. So that's a really good top order, lots of experience. Ben McDermott's just had a great year in T20 cricket all around the world. The other one from the Hurricanes is Johan Botha, yeah. who's moved from the Sixers to the Hurricanes. I think he's on a two-year contract, which will see him to the end of his career, sort of bowls to off spinners. But, yeah, good bowler. One guy who I think is under a bit of pressure is Darcy Short, though, because he had that awesome breakout season last year. Top 572 runs. runs last year. Unbelievable. Then got a really big contract for the IPL. Averaged in the teens in the IPL, and then he's been playing short form for Australia and hasn't done much at all. Under big pressure, he's the most expensive player in the game, given how well he went last year. So he's under pressure to produce because he's got to show that he's not a one-season wonder. He's actually been bowling better than he's been batting recently. His bowling has actually improved. All right. Now, our final team that we're going to analyse today is the Melbourne Renegades. Will they be one of the teams that breaks the southern drought? No Victorian side has ever won the Big Bash. For for a, a state that prides itself on being the sporting capital of this country, their their cabinet is bare of big bash titles. So let's see if the Renegades have a chance. What do you think of their squad? I am really not liking their squad at all. They've lost some serious cattle. Dwayne Bravo has gone to their Melbourne rivals, the Stars. They've lost Hodge and Hogg retired. Plus, Finch is going to be playing the Hog Tests. Hogg was a forcible retirement. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, but they've lost Finch to the Tests, probably Marcus Harris, or almost certainly Marcus Harris to the Test squad as well. So they've lost some seriously good players. They've lost essentially their four best batsmen from last year. Plus, Bravo um, was a top the wickets last year as well, bowling at the death. Got the equal top wickets with Rashid Khan. So... It's, it's going to be tough to see what they do at the top of the order. They've got some decent guys. They've got Muhammad Nabi back, who is a the very accomplished... Afghani all-rounder, bowls off-spin and yeah, yeah. smack the ball. Really can smack it. Averages, oh, sorry, strike rates up around that 150 mark. So they've, they've got this Usman Khan Shinwari from yeah. Pakistan, left-arm bowler. Quick, yeah. Yeah, quick. And then he's going to be replaced by Harry Gurney, who's an English spinner. Yeah, so he'll, he'll after about six English rounds, leggy, I think he'll have to leave. So, look, it's an interesting team. I just don't think they have the class with Bravo, Hodge, Finch, and Harris not going to play. How are they going to score the runs? I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking at their squad. It's pretty thin. Uh, Cameron Boyce uh, has been signed with them. Only two years ago, he was bowling leg spin for Australia in a T20 international. So if he could perhaps bowl really well, that could be a linchpin to their bowling. But you're right. I don't know where the runs are going to come from. Tom Cooper, who plays for South South Australia, has been in good form in the Mm. Shield this season, just scored 100. But I don't know. I think they'll have to probably open with someone like Tim Ludeman. Tom Cooper's probably going to have to bat three off three, which is higher than he's batted in the past. And Mackenzie then Harvey. Mackenzie Ian Harvey is a great, yeah, yeah, a great youngster coming through. He could open the batting. Uh, and then they've got their sloggers. Dan Christian will have to come in, and Mohamed Nabi will probably have to bat a bit higher than they normally would want to. They do have Cameron White, obviously very experienced, but it, you're right. It's hard to see the Renegades finishing in the top four. 
Yep, I of agree. All the, squ- the four squads we've looked at, theirs by far looks the weakest on paper. And we it know is. cricket's not pay- played on paper, but Supercoach is. It is. It is, absolutely. They've also got Will Sutherland, the, the son of the former CEO. Unfortunately, he is injured for the first little bit. But the Renegades do have a really good schedule from round six to nine. They play four ga- they, Sorry, they play six games in four rounds for Supercoach. So Will Sutherland will be back for then. You can pick him up as a cheapie for those rounds. And I feel, uh, look, he's probably the most talented all-round prospect coming through in Australian cricket right now. All right, Tommy, thank you for going through those four teams with me. Should we start a Cricket Unfiltered Supercoach League? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, and, get it done. And how does the point scoring work? I mean, if there are listeners out there who are thinking of going on to supercoach.com.au and signing up, how do you look at picking your team? So I don't have the in front of me right now, but essentially for a batsman, Every run counts as one point. Every run you get over the balls you face counts as a point. Plus sixes get two points, fours get one point. So that's that's how the batting works. In the bowling, you get 25 points for one wicket. So obviously there's a big advantage for a bloke who is, for example, going to open the batting and then bowl a few overs as well. All-rounders mm. have got a massive advantage if they can manage to jag a wicket. It's 25 for a wicket. Then you get some bonuses for uh, things like maiden overs. Under four runs and over, you get a bonus. Five runs and over, six runs and over, seven runs and over, you'll get bonus points as well. That's given me a lot of food for thought. And any tips when you're picking your team? Obviously, you look at how many games are playing per round. How often can you bring players in and out of your team? So you've got three trades per round. So obviously you start with Scorchers and Heat because they've got that double in the first round, but then the Heat have a bye the next week. So you've got to get them out straight away and bring in some strikers who have got the double in the second week. So the number one tactic is to look at the schedule and just maximise the number of players in your team who are on the double. Yeah, you don't want your super coach captain, you know, not playing around, for example. Yeah, well, your captain would almost always be a player who has got the double that week. So, for example, in round one, Chris Lynn has the double, so he'll be the most popular captain by a long way. All right, Tommy, thank you for your pro tips. That was Tom, super coach Sangster, going to be a reg- regular member of the podcast over summer. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, the soon-to-be super coach BBL champion. Uh, I'll be back after the break with Australian women's team vice-captain Rachel Haynes. Country. And that doesn't look like a great start. Some beating for the catch of the summer. That was a fantastic effort. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Andrew Mensel here, and that was Rachel Haynes taking a great catch in the T20 series earlier this summer versus New Zealand. Well, last weekend, the Women's Big Bash League kicked off in Victoria, and to talk about that and Australia's triumphant World T20 campaign, I have on the line Australian Women's Team Vice Captain Rachel Hange. She was a guest on the show about two months ago, but since then, Rachel, you have been on quite a wild ride. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. We, we certainly have. Um, I guess it's nice to be back talking as yeah a World Cup champion. It's been um, yeah a great couple of weeks for our team. 
Now, when I interviewed you a couple of months ago, you spoke about the Aussie team trying to embrace a fearless attitude towards T20 cricket. And I guess as the vice-captain, you must be so happy and proud of the way the Australian team was able to put that into practice in, in the World T20. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think how our, our team has adapted as well across different conditions. They certainly were different to home over in the Caribbean. The wickets were a lot slower and perhaps you, you couldn't necessarily go out there and, and bully an attack or anything. So I think the way that yeah our team in, embraced that challenge and were able to get the most out of themselves, it was really pleasing and, and obviously um, yeah nice to, to get the result that we set out to achieve. And I noticed in the final of the tournament against England, there was a few nerves in the field at the beginning of the game. Do you you think there was a little bit of that sort of feeling the pressure of being in a final that crept into the team? Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right there. There was definitely um, some nerves on display and perhaps, you know, this team has has been a successful team in in the the past but um, hasn't necessarily had that success recently in, in World Cups and big events. So, yeah, I think, both England and Australia showed some nerves throughout that match, but uh, we were able to settle eventually. And yeah, it was nice, I guess, to get that reward and, and prove to ourselves that, you know, we could stand up in those big moments and get the results that we were after. Yeah, I thought when I think Georgia Wareham ran out, Danny Wyatt, that seemed to just settle the team down a little bit. Yeah, it did. Um, it was a big moment too for a young player coming in and, and playing some of her, her first games for Australia and obviously her, her first World Cup as well. So, yeah, it was really nice that we, we had that moment and everyone was just able to take a, a deep breath and, and get on track. And, yeah, you're right, it definitely settled the team down and um, it was just really pleasing that, yeah, it came from a, a young player. Now, Mel Jones was on the radio this week and she said that you're 25 not out of 15 balls in the semi-final against the West Indians was one of the best knocks of the whole tournament. You came in when Australia was 4 for 109 and got them up to a total of 142. But you topped the averages for Australia, but you only faced 46 balls throughout the whole tournament. So how hard is it as a player down the order when someone like Elisa Healy does so well to for you to stay in rhythm, so when you get you know the big chance in the semi final, you can take it. Yeah, it is tough. I, I've sort of learnt though over the last eighteen months, batting in that position in this side, that you do need to be patient, and there'll be times where you simply don't get a hit. You've got to try and make the most of little opportunities that come up. And you know, it was really great for our team that someone like Elisa Healy was in the form that she was, and in such an important tournament as well on on a big stage. You know, for her to consistently perform like that, it, it really sort of laid a, a great foundation for our team. But yeah, it's. I guess I've had a little bit of practice coming in at different stages and, and needing to deliver in those sorts of moments. So, yeah, I was lucky that um, the West Indies put pace back on the ball as well, which made my job a little bit easier. And, yeah, nice to contribute in, in some small way during that, match. Yeah, crucial contribution. Mel Jones said that you might have been approached to open the batting at one stage in the tournament, but you wanted to keep the Mooney Healy thing going. Is that right? Um, it was actually prior to the tournament. Um, it was sort of floated, yeah, within our team. But I I thought it was really important to keep the continuity that we had within our our batting group. And, you know, I I think it sent a really important message as well heading into the the World Cup that, um, you know, we were backing players and we had really good confidence in their ability to to execute on that big stage. So, yeah, it, it was something that was discussed, but yeah, I think, you know, in terms of well, the thing that made our, our team successful leading into the, the World Cup was people were really clear on their roles and were executing that quite well. So, 
yeah, I thought it was important that we, we kept that continuity um, heading into a big tournament. Well, it certainly worked a treat in the tournament. One of the great things throughout the World T20 was the images coming back to Australia of you and your teammates enjoying not only the tournament but each other's company. I mean, how special is the bond between this Australian team? Yeah, it is something that is really special at the moment and something we've worked really hard on as well. I think from a a skill perspective and athletically, um, those sorts of things really stand out because it's something that you can see. But the other side of it too is, um, you know, making sure that you you get to know your teammates and and understand what makes them tick and form relationships with different players as well. Um, Because ultimately we're all going through quite a similar experience and it is something you should enjoy doing too. Sometimes international cricket can be a, a little bit brutal, but yeah, I think that shone through or has shone through a lot within our environment over the last 12 months and certainly in the Caribbean as well. I think one moment that really stood out was, um, you know, unfortunately we, we lost against India in that round match. And then the next day we, we had a, an appearance as a team um, at a school in Guyana. And yeah, we, we had a lot of fun there with the kids and it was just a, a really, uh, I think, looking back at important time where, you know, we, we hadn't quite played how we would have liked in that match, but we were able to move on pretty quickly and, and still give back to, to the kids in that environment and also enjoy what we were doing. So, yeah, little moments like that, I think, you know, on reflection sort of show where the team's at and and how much they've matured um, over a a short period of time. Yeah, it's fantastic to see the smiling and the the joy that you bring to the game and the whole team. I guess when you sort of look back on the tournament, what will be a couple of memories that will stand out to you on the field, off the field, you know, the party? What is it that you'll sort of remember? Oh, I think definitely in in that final and, you know, when there was about 15 runs to get or so, looking on the bench and sort of seeing Elisa Healy, Sophie Molyneux, Elise Perry, like everyone was just, just obviously really joyous and happy in that moment. But it also really stood out just how far we'd come and what we'd achieved. And, you know, I think reflecting back, it, it makes you realise how hard it is to actually win a World Cup and have the opportunity to to stand there and really enjoy that moment and so yeah for me that that's something that that stood out was yeah just how obviously how hard we worked and and then um you know being able to to achieve our our goal in in winning that tournament yeah it was really special i'm glad i'm so glad you enjoyed it and i'm glad the team was successful it was was fantastic viewing back here but the circus goes on you you win the world cup and then a week later you're into the women's big bash league how was the turnaround you know very short turnaround yeah it was sort of a, a matter of days between landing in australia and then being back out in the field again but um well you know we also had something to really celebrate i think coming back as as world champions and then going into a tournament like WBBL it's a lot of fun for players the all the the girls really enjoy this time of year you know there's a, a festive vibe to it and everyone's pretty relaxed out in the crowd with Christmas around the corner and, and people on holidays and all those sorts of things so yeah the the playing group were actually really excited coming back to Australia and knowing that you know our home crowd was going to be there and families are around and those sorts of things so it, it definitely um, was pretty easy to, to come home and be able to enjoy the weekend. Now, Rachel, it's the grudge match this weekend in the Women's Big Bash. The Sixers v. the Thunder at North Sydney Oval. You come against, come up against some of your Australian teammates. There must be a fierce rivalry between the two Sydney teams. Yeah, there is a, a little bit of rivalry, rivalry developing and we've had some really tight contests against each other and I actually really look forward to these games because you know, well, 
obviously I've played a lot of cricket with the, the girls in the Sydney Sixers and they're a pretty talented bunch. But yeah, it's it's good to test yourself in that environment, I think. And everyone wants to do well and try and get one up on the other. So yeah, this weekend will be no different. And yeah, I know our girls are really looking forward to it. And you might have a few uh, little hints to get out Elisa Healy and Elise Perry having <laughs> played so much with them. Yeah, well, I've watched um, Elisa Healy score a bucket load of runs over the last couple of months, so I'm hoping we can stem that flow a little bit and um, keep her nice and quiet this weekend. I had a suggestion after the World T20 that maybe she should become a specialist batsman, but uh, I don't know how well that'll go down with her. Yeah, I think she enjoys being behind the stumps, and I think we'd miss her head shirt if she didn't have the gloves in hand, so I can't imagine she'll want to give that up too quickly, but... Yeah, obviously her, her batting is pretty exceptional at the moment and she's pretty pretty talented with the gloves as well. So I think she'll, she'll look to do both for as long as she can. Uh, broadly speaking, you must think the Thunder are a real chance at winning this Women's Big Bash title. You've got an excellent lineup. I mean, apart from yourself at the top of the order, you've got Stallenberg, Blackwell and Taylor in the middle order. I mean, it's a really good team. You, you must feel you're a real chance of lifting the, the trophy. Yeah, well, even coming home, I wasn't sure what to expect out of the the first game because I just haven't been around the, the group, obviously, having been in the Caribbean. But the one thing that really stood out to me was our bowling group as well and how good they were on the weekend, how they used their change of pace and really their execution of, of their length. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a really exciting time for our team. You know, obviously, our ambition is to, to win the win the WBBL and we've been there before and experienced that and we'd love to to get back and and hold that trophy again so yeah I think it's it's shaping up to be a really exciting season for us and um, there's there's plenty of upside that's for sure. I think Nicola Carey's bowling really well she's got quite a bit of zip about her skiddy little medium pacer. Yeah definitely and she's got a knack of taking wickets as well we saw that on the weekend that little blinder of a catch she took against the Renegades so you know she's obviously spent a, a little bit of time you know, in the around the Australian environment, and unfortunately didn't get to play too much or at the World Cup. But I know she's raring to go. She really wants to get out there and put in some good performances. So yeah, I think um, she's shaping up to have a, a really big season. And how are you feeling in the middle? Are you hitting the ball well? Yeah, look, it's taken me a, a couple of sessions to adjust to the quicker wickets. I must admit, I'm I'm um, glad the ball's coming back onto the bat. That's nice. But yeah, I'm feeling really good. I've been you know hitting the ball well and obviously scoring. Um, some good runs in the teams that I've been playing in. So I want to definitely continue that on. Yeah, I hope so. Well, I guess um, after the women's Big Bash, what's next for the Australian team? Uh, So we've got an ODI series against New Zealand, which will sort of round out our summer. Um, So finish um, our our T20 cricket um, over Christmas and New Year, and then um, New Zealand are are coming back to Australia for three ODIs. And then it's the Ashes defence in England next year? Yeah, that's obviously a, a pretty big series on the horizon and you know, we'll, we'll be keen to make sure that we retain the Ashes in Australia and you know we've had some great contests against England um, in the past so I think that'd be, I guess, the, the next thing that our, our team would like to achieve is retaining the Ashes over in England. Well, best of luck with that and best of luck in the Women's Big Bash this season, Rachel. Thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. It was a fascinating interview last time we sat down 
before the series against New Zealand. And since then, it's been a stellar run for the team. So congratulations and hope we can catch up again over summer. Great. Thanks very much, Andrew. Well, listeners, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered this week. I've started a super coach league for the podcast. The details of that are in the episode notes. So if you're a super coach player, you can join the Cricket Unfiltered League and watch me win the BBL super coach uh, title. Really looking forward to that. But seriously, if you want to keep up with all the cricket action going on at the moment, the test, the women's big bash, and the soon-to-be big bash, head to dailytelegraph.com.au for all the cricket action. And thank you to Gav Joshi, Tom Sangster, and Rachel Haynes. I just want to remind you that for December, January, I'll be releasing podcasts on Monday and Thursday. So stay tuned for the next release on Monday. And I've been your host, Andrew Menzel. You've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast brought to you by News Corp. Back soon. 